Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Have You Any Rogues by Elizabeth Boyle. So this was published in 2013 and it's the second and a half in book in the Rises Love series. So it's a novella that falls in between book two and book three. I like this so much more than I thought I would. <laughs> it's a really fun little novella. So you you may remember that book one and book two talked about, they both focused on a member of the Selden family. Mm-hmm. And the second book focused on a member of the Dale family who married a Selden. And then this book takes it just a little step further, which I liked. So the jacket. The Seldons and Dales have been mortal enemies for centuries, but that hasn't stopped the roguish Crispin, Viscount Dale, and the impetuous Lady Henrietta Selden from waging their own battle. Of the heart, every stray glance, every chance encounter threatens to reveal the secret passion that keeps drawing them together. But finally, after years of flirting with disaster... Crispin and Henrietta find themselves locked in a wine cellar, and now there is no denying the love and loyalties that have lured them in and torn them apart time and time again. Will this one last chance, this tempting night of desire, ignite a fire that will never be extinguished, no matter the price? Well, will it, Lane? I mean, yeah. This has no substance about their past, really. It doesn't. No. I don't hate it. The only thing I will say, and this is kind of my biggest criticism of the book, the Henrietta of this jacket and of the book are the same person, but I feel like she's a little bit, she's significantly different than she was in the first two books in the series. Yeah, I think she's a little different from how she was in the first two books of the series, but I also, and I do wish that at least in the second book where we we met Crispin, there had been a little bit more of their past. Hinting at something between them and yeah. Right, right. That said, you know, we say that Henrietta isn't the same as she was in the first two books. Those two books, she was seen through the perspective of her her brother and her nephew, who's the same yeah. age as her. So I guess it's it's possible that she was seen through a different lens, but she definitely seems different here. Yeah, and I think the lens absolutely excuses some of it, but not all of it. But not all of it, yeah. Well, as usual, we wrote our own summaries based on a randomly generated number, and for this episode, that number was 18. I'll go ahead and and start. Here's my 18-word summary. There's nothing like getting locked in the cellar with your estranged first love to spark your deepest Memories. Memories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Romeo woos Juliet, but Napoleon, eavesdropping, and meddling aunts keep them apart. Puppies, locks, and wine fix everything. I mean, I will not argue with that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a sort of a Romeo and Juliet feuding family romance, for sure. Yes. It is all have been. Well, I should they all. The first one wasn't, but the second two have been. Yes. And um I will say because it's a novella, you don't get much of their 
the reason why they fall in love. It's basically like insta-love, love at first sight. They see each other. They're immediately attracted to each other. And they're like, yep, that's, that's the one for me. I choose that one. I liked that more than I thought I would. I usually don't very much. I'm usually the first person begging for more, like, development of the relationship. But I just totally bought it here. And I think part of it is because this is the Rhymes with Love series. It's supposed to be fairy tale-esque and a little bit over the top. You know, all the books have been. Yeah, but I also think, so, trope, the first time he sees her, she's in a precarious situation. <laughs> right. So he little, literally sees her, like, bare ass before he sees her. Yep. So it starts out on this, like, ridiculous meet cute that I just feels like really sets the tone for the book. Absolutely, I agree. And so the fact that it was overwhelming and instant and, like, the twist of they were almost making out before they even knew each other's names because the second they learned each other's names, they were mortal enemies. Like, it was just really fun. It's extremely fun. It's extremely fun. But I would say that's the first trope is it's insta-love or it's love at first sight. It's also a second-chance romance. I would argue it's a fourth-chance romance. Uh, yeah, because they've come together and been broken apart many times in the past. Yeah. Um, so the first time he gets uh, captured by Napoleon and she thinks there's no way he's coming home. So she gives up and marries someone else. Mm-hmm. The second time she overhears him saying some mean stuff about her. So she thinks his proposal of marriage was untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I'm sorry. thinks his sincerity is untrue the third time he stands her up at the altar because unbeknownst to her his aunt has prevented him from getting to her and so, this some guy shows up and she just marries him instead yes <laughs> i i actually thought that was really funny because he he gets he gets locked in a wine cellar by his aunt so that mm-hmm. he won't marry her and then this whole the whole framing device of this one this novella is that he's locked in the wine cellar with Henrietta now. And I suppose I should say, like, this is just going to be super spoilery. I mean, we can't not spoil this. The way this book is structured is it's flashbacks, time slips between yeah. present and past. So, like, they're talking in the cellar, and then she's like, well, you remember what happened that time. And the time slips all basically end up being the reasons for all of her marriages. Mm-hmm. And so, given that you know from the first three books that she's been widowed three times... And, you know, from the beginning, the setup is, like, these two people have had this, these accidents every time that have kept them apart. There's really no way for us to talk about this without just blowing the whole thing so, wide open. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. But you should still read it, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. Um, so they're, I think we already mentioned, their families are feuding. So they, they are, it's supposed to be enemies to lovers, right? They, they feel like they should be enemies but they're not. No, but they've been like super into each other without justification since minute one. And they just lie to their families about not liking each other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's trapped by the French. This is the nine billionth romance hero who has somehow been involved with Napoleon and trapped overseas during some part of the wars. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a soldier, but basically the same thing. Yep, basically the same thing. Uh, and then it, this is one of the ones where you, the the heroine gives up and marries someone else because she thought her first love was, was dead. 
She thought he was At the dead. very least, like, imprisoned, being tortured, and not in a position to survive. As good as dead, yeah. Yeah. Um, thing we have seen over and over again, especially with widows with multiple husbands, thank you, Sherry Thomas, in Beguiling the Beauty. Um, one of her husbands was gay, and she was a beard. Yep. Um, she gets pregnant after one encounter, which I feel like in a romance novel, either you're infertile and you never get pregnant until you meet the one or you get pregnant after one time. And she's both because she <laughs> was married and did have sex with her first husband. Only husband she had sex with BT dubs. Um, and so she has sex with him for the entirety of their marriage, which is like years ish. It's the longest one. Right. Yeah. She never gets pregnant that we know of, but then has sex with, you know, the Dale one time standing up in a saloon against a door and booyah. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that part in there. I thought it was important and relevant. I mean, that's probably how you get pregnant. I am pretty sure it has to do with being upright. Yeah, I agree. I went to a West Virginia public school. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, but I'm going with it for here for, for this episode anyway. <laughs> so there is someone who's been pining for her. It's, it's not, I mean, the hero has been pining for her, but there's also another guy who's been pining for her. And like, he's kind of a bad guy. Or a bad guy, and it's not really talked about. Kind of, yeah. Because he, he's been a longtime family friend, and he does want what's best for her, and he does have genuine feelings for her. But he participates in the faking out her that Crispin doesn't love her the third time. Yeah. It's true. They are trapped by accident, which we mentioned. Which... Happens 100 billion times an hour in romance novels. It, it's, it's similar. I mean, it, it, it is a subgenre. It's a subtrope of the forced proximity or only one bed. Uh, yep. Or um, what, what are some of the other ones? I mean, it's, the big one is forced proximity. But it could be there's only one bed or it could be they're trapped in some rubble. And this is the only time that they have to say I love you. There's the time they were trapped in a burning uh, warehouse. Remember that one? Well, there's also so many times that, like, one of them stages getting trapped, so they yes. have to confront their feelings. Like, there's a ton of subversions of it. Yeah, so this one, they, they are trapped in a cellar. Yep. Uh, so she gets revenge married. Yes. Twice. She gets revenge married. She gets revenge married once. She gets, um, like, depressed married once. Okay. I think this distinction is kind of irrelevant, but so often, like in second chance romances, the first chance was ruined when the woman misunderstood something and ran into someone else's arms. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then they have uh, a meet cute and precarious situation we've already talked about. And this trope applies to one other book, but I don't care. As we all know, I don't like pregnancy tropes and I don't like babies. The grand exception is Nefert Forth and Ramsey's Walter Peabody Emerson, a.k.a. My One True Love. And for those of you who have every single word of those books memorized, you will recall the way she confesses, like, it was your baby to him. Mm -hmm. And there's one of those moments where it's like, yes, I, and it's specifically tied to miscarriage. 
Yes. Or stillbirth. It's not yes. like she's been raising a kid that was his without his knowledge. Nope. It's not a secret baby trope. It's secret miscarriage trope. Or like stillbirth or whatever that she like n- knew it was his. I also, so this is something that bothered me. In the text, he says, because she finally tells him it was that she, even one, had been pregnant at all, and two, that it had been his in this wine cellar. And he's like, why didn't you tell me? And she says, I tried to, remember? And then it flashes back, and there's no scene of her trying to tell him. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess they were they were talking, and they get interrupted. So I guess you're supposed to assume that <laughs> he was going <laughs> to tell him something else. But but... part of this waltz? Before they are, like... Correct. Okay. That is correct. Oh, wait, not the waltz. Yeah, the waltz. That was the waltz yeah. time. No. Okay. Yeah. But, and then there was... So there's an but this also happened in um, My Beautiful Enemy. <gasps> oh, that's true. So it's it's a trope, for sure. No, it it's is, secret miscarriage. It's, it's one thing in my brain. Yes. Oh, and it happened in that other one, too. This is definitely a trope. It happened no, in I, a, yeah. a Christmas book. Oh, my God, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so did you like this book? I did like this book. I will say, so this book is pretty darn angsty. Like, Honestly, there's a, yes. Yes, right? Which we say we don't love, but it's somehow, like, like whimsical or fluffy angst at the same time. I don't know how Elizabeth Boyle did it. Yeah, so I would say that the saddest story that doesn't involve them is the story of how he gets out of France. Yeah. It's super tropey, and you've heard the version before. It has to do with, like, changing identities in a prison. You've seen it in Harry Potter. Um, But so he is telling the story at a dinner table, and it's about, like, an old couple dying, and everyone's crying, but it's being told in this, like, parable of true love kind of way mm-hmm. so that the reader is not being immersed in the grief I don't know it was, it was a interesting execution but it worked it, it that totally worked then of course there's a secret miscarriage that was very sad and then there is like the anyway there's just a lot of things that happened yeah. well I mean and the, the pretense is her three dead husbands all of whom she liked like none of them sucked as people yeah even if they had- weren't Kristen Right. She had three husbands who died. She's been in love with this guy the whole time. Their circumstances yeah. have come between them. Like, this is an extremely angsty setup. But I think the way it's executed is somehow not that not. angsty. Right. So it, it worked for me. So I know you sometimes complain that, like, more than a couple years is too long for a couple to be apart. Yep. They've been in love with each other and not together for, like, 11 years. Yep. But it worked for me here because there – so, first of all, there's this framing device, right? So, it's, it's and this is not a story told seven years later. Right. This is a story where they get locked in a cellar together, and then they're reminiscing about all the times they were together. So, you never – for me, at least, you never feel the absence because they're only talking about the times when they're together. Okay. So it worked for me here for that reason. I would also argue it worked for me because there were sex breaks. That also helped. I'm not going to deny it. Oftentimes, really prolonged absences have to do with a miscommunication between the couple. 
And while those obviously happen, like her dumping him over overhearing things he said to his aunt was a miscommunication. But every time there is a miscommunication or something happens or he gets like kidnapped by Napoleon or whatever, they immediately talk about it the next time they see each other. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everything is immediately forgiven. Like when they finally have this full conversation trapped in this wine cellar, it's not like they're still forgiving each other for the first romantic liaison. They've forgiven each other. Like they, they had a first liaison, a first breakup, and then they already forgave each other for that. And then they had a second breakup. They've already forgiven each other for that. They had a third breakup. And this is the one that they're dealing with now. Right. <laughs> so it worked for some reason. It, it just really worked. And it also felt like these are people who can't stay apart from each other. I totally bought the magnetism. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I don't know why here. Totally about it. I agree. So I I did like getting to learn about her three previous marriages. That said, it, it wasn't what I had imagined from reading the first two books. And I think this is where Elaine is is coming from from saying it, it the character felt a little different. Actually, maybe explain on what you're saying. So the first couple of books, they were talking about how Hen liked getting married she there wasn't a pretty face that she couldn't resist um and so she would sort of identify someone who she thought was attractive they would get married they maybe didn't get along after they got married but they had maybe a tempestuous affair and then he died for some reason (laughs) that's how I imagined it from reading the first two so that's definitely true Her her marriages themselves weren't what I was expecting, but the way Henrietta was described as sort of a paragon, and I know that's through the lens of her brother and her nephew, the fact that two of her marriages were sudden without anyone in the family knowing didn't seem super in character. And at the very least, if, oh, she'd only surprised us with those two marriages every other time she'd been super reliable, you'd think the boys would still think of that. Yeah, like they were such out of left field decisions as far as her family could observe. Well, but then also I think the other thing, too, is in the at least in the first book, for sure, she's very um, committed to the family reputation. Yes. And yeah. And And that didn't didn't appear here. Well, and the thing is, it would have been one thing if. Dale was the thing that made her forget that. Mm-hmm. But to forget it and then run into other men's arms. Right. Really, I, I don't know. Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate the character she was in this book. Sometimes you feel like romance authors have like every background relationship planned out in their head before they start writing the series. I don't get that sense here. I agree. I agree with that one. So, uh, did you like Crispin? Okay. He had a lot less character development than Het, which makes sense because he wasn't really a character in the first two books, and she mm-hmm. was, and this is a novella, so there's not a whole lot of time for growth. So his entire personality is pretty much just, like, being kind of adventurous, having in common that they're really into travel, um, basically keeping this love in his heart for her the whole time that gets him through even the darkest patches, and he's always there, one, ready to rescue her from, like, different degrees of peril and to like forgive her the second she comes back it's just like he's the sweetest most patient for all that she's 
broken his heart several times over. Mm-hmm. And I say her more than him because he sort of wasn't in control of the stuff that happened to him. Getting kidnapped by Napoleon, locked in his aunt's basement. The, the, like, two, ki- the two kidnappings he was not in control of, no. Right. And even the saying stuff to his aunt, like, he didn't know she was there and he was just trying to put his aunt off. Yeah, but... Like, that's the only one he has any culpability for. Yes, I agree. So, like, I, I, you just sort of get to see him as this, like, font of endless adoration, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> And, I mean, look, if you're going to give us a hero who just adores the heroine, I well, don't think we're going to complain. If this were a novel, his dark years where he was trying to forget her probably would have been really delved into and probably would have made me like him less. But here they're just glossed over. Right. So, like, even though they told me he spent a whole lot of time gambling, drinking, and having tons of sex, like, it doesn't really feel like a part of his characterization. Right. He's just kind of like a really hot doormat. Like, you never see him get mad at her. No, I mean, he here's here's what I like about him. He gets mad, but not when he's with her. When yes. he meets up with her again, he's like, oh, actually, I love her so much. Like, I can't stay mad at this woman. He sees her after she gets, like, revenge married the night they have sex for the first time. Mm-hmm. She's being snubbed in public, and he just decides to be the only person not to snub her. And it's like, dude, the last time you saw her, you were like, I'm going to be at your house, and we are going to be together forever. And she married another dude in Gretna Green literally as she left the sex room. Mm -hmm. And he has no anger toward her whatsoever when he sees her. I mean, (laughs) that's the thing. Like, He was angry, but the sight of her just erases it. Well, and you also don't spend any real time in his head during that period of anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like he's reflecting on, well, I was mad, but now she's here and I'm not anymore. So, like, you don't, you, you're not actually in his mad headspace. It's true. It's great. I also love the, like, random passing. They locked him in the wine cellar for three days. Yes. Like, and, like, no water and bathroom. Like, oh, my God. And no one let him out. Yeah, like, that wasn't... That was the one part of the book that, like, almost crossed the line for me. <laughs> <laughs> the one part of the book. Not the miscarriage. Not the old couple who dies. actually, like, familial abuse. Like, oh, yeah. really want him to stay a Dale anymore. <laughs> no, no, I know. Well, and I think it made it easy for him to be like, yeah, I'm not. I don't need to be, to hold this grudge if my family is going to treat me like this. Yeah. So... I do think it it helped explain a little bit. Three days. Um, it's also like super steamy. This book is is a lot. Okay, wait. Content warning. We talked about it already. There's a miscarriage. Well, and his family abuses him. And his family abuses him. Not okay. as a child, as an adult. <laughs> to be clear. Correct. Okay, that's out of the way. This book is is like. Half of it is like sex, sex, or kissing, or like sexual tension. Yeah, absolutely. A- anytime these two characters are on the page together, they are, they either want to be kissing each other, are kissing each other, or are having sex with each other. This book is like seventy pages long, and not one of them is wasted. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. So they meet in the woods, they almost make out, but then they're interrupted by her father. 
They needed a ball. Oh, by the way, trope masquerade ball. He he crashes her her masquerade ball, which I love. He crashes her masquerade ball. Um, they immediately recognize each other, which I love. Mm-hmm. Love takes off masks. And they go back, they make out, they're interrupted by brothers. Yep. Then the next time they see each other, uh, they have sex in a closet. Yep. Then the next time they see each other, they have a scandalous waltz. Like the most sex, the sexiest, most scandalous waltz. Oh, my God. Ever. And then the next time they see each other, they um, have a lot of sex in the wine cellar. In the wine cellar, yep. <laughs> That's when these two characters are on the page, they are having sex with each other. Thing I love eyes at each other. They in the wine cellar hear and realize her family realizes she's gone missing. And they just keep having sex. Mm-hmm. Just like honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, this book is 70 pages of like sex and angst that's also kind of light but still angsty it's weird i i wouldn't say if you want something it's it's strange because i want to say like this is the perfect fluffy read but it's sort of not <laughs> it's sort of not at the same time it's it but it's it is a really enjoyable short little book like it's very okay. enjoyable so this is what I would say. Other than like sh- the fact that she gets most of her character development in the two previous books, and he's a little thin in terms of characterization, this is to me more of a condensed romance novel than a novella. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Like, I feel like novella novellas often end up being like two or three really major scenes, mm-hmm. and you get everything about the characters in those handful of interactions. Whereas I feel like this was. A really full plot. It was. It absolutely was. Yeah. With a lot, like romance novels and novellas often don't have a lot of inks because there's just no time for it. Yes. So I feel like this gets, if you really want to sit down and get into the full romance novel, there being supporting cast members, like a full narrative, but you only have an hour, I would recommend this book. I agree. I agree. I mean, is it any surprise that we're recommending it, Elizabeth Boyle? No, we're no. One day I'm gonna read one I don't like, and I will tell you when that happens. But it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. So, <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate it if you could rate, review, subscribe, and check us out wherever you get your internet content at Plotris. <laughs>